Welcome to the Synaxis Podcast. A Synaxis is a liturgical gathering. It can also refer to an unveiling event. The Synaxis Podcast is a weekly gathering hosted by yours truly, Scott Jones, for the purpose of finding the life-giving healing word of the gospel and the words of the weekly lectionary passages. Join myself and a guest each week as we explore the lectionary text together. This is the place for gospel-rich, grace-saturated, and a properly worldly lens on the week's lectionary passages, all in 25 minutes or less. My guest is Glenn Stallsmith. Glenn is a pastor who serves two United Methodist churches in rural North Carolina. He's also a Ph.D. student at Duke Divinity School. For 12 years, he lived in the Philippines, working as an ethnomusicologist with Wycliffe Bible Translators. He's also the reviews editor of Global Forum on Arts and Christian Faith. I give you Glenn Stallsman. Glenn, welcome back to the podcast, my friend. Good to be back, Scott. It's always a pleasure. And this week we've got interesting passages for what is the 11th Sunday after Pentecost. Beginning with Jeremiah 1, verses 4 through 10, we have God calling the prophet. And this passage that is, is oft quoted, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. And then he says, interesting, I appointed you a prophet to the nations, not just a prophet to Israel, but to the nations. And then we have the self-deprecating kind of response, you know, don't, I don't know how to speak, I'm only a boy. And God says, don't say that, you know, you'll speak my words and I'm putting them in your mouth. And then he tells them what his word will do in the nations. Yeah. Over nations, like you said, over kingdoms, not, not just the kingdom of Judah, which is his primary audience here, but will at least have secondary audience that goes far beyond that. Yeah, that's so interesting, right? That this that this that he will be a, you know, prophet on the global stage in, in some sense. Yeah, and I think his social location is important here. Um the lectionary cuts out the first three verses of Jeremiah, but I would guess that if you're gonna if you're gonna launch into a sermon series in Jeremiah, which the lectionary invites you to do starting this week, um I would think you'd want to read those first few verses, or at least allude to them in your preaching. And and there it says that uh, that Jeremiah is is from the the land of Benjamin. And although Benjamin's very near Jerusalem, um, just in its history, it tended to align more with the northern tribes. It, the Benjamites had more in common with those folks who are in 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 Jeremiah's time no longer there. They've already been taken away in exile. So I think Jeremiah is culturally located in a place where he is inclined to speak words of criticism towards the southern kingdom and towards um, the Davidic um, lineage. So so although he's geographically close, um, he would be raised in an environment that would allow him to speak uh, critical words um, to the people in power in, in in Judah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting, too, that, you know, looking at Jeremiah's response, which I guess ought to be everybody's response, right? Like you think of uh, initially, we you know, when the miracle of the great of the of the great catch and Peter says, Lord, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. Or, you know, Isaiah, the call of Isaiah, you know, I'm a man of unclean lips. There, There is this sense of inadequacy. And who am I? You know, and it, it, it reinforces the fact that God doesn't call the qualified, but it's it it's the qual it, it's the call of God that qualifies you. You you know you're not you're chosen, not choice. Yeah, and Moses goes through the same thing, of course, at the burning bush. It's, you know, I can't speak very well. Send someone else. Yeah, that's a 
that's a common theme in these call stories. It reminds me of a story a friend of mine told me that he felt called into the ministry, sold everything he had, packed packed his um, his family into a into a station wagon and moved across the country to to attend school to to get more training for ministry. And I remember spending the last dollar um, making a collect phone call from a payphone to to let somebody know that he got there and um, just kind of crying out in his heart said. Lord, why did you call me? And uh, why can't you call someone else? And, and the response he he discerned was, I, I did call someone else, but they wouldn't come. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you had anybody else, you think I'd use you. No, it's, it's right. great. But there's something to be said for availability and willingness um, to go forward. And and the qualifications are are very are very low. It seems, you know, God tells Jeremiah, um, he doesn't have to figure out where to go. God will send him. He doesn't have to figure out what to say. God will put words in his mouth. So um, just the availability and, and the willingness is, seems to be the main qualifications. Yeah, it's interesting because God says that, you know, don't be afraid for I am with you to deliver you. It's like God is with him in his weakness, not despite his weakness, but God will be with him in it to deliver him and to you know, God, it, it, it's God's presence that validates what he's doing, not something that he has possession over, but the God who possesses him. And then you have this interesting set of verbs, right? You have, you know, the, the, what the word's going to do, it will pluck up and break down, destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. And, you know, I, I'm thinking of, uh, I was just reading recently, a couple weeks ago, Phil Carey's The Meaning of Protestant Theology. And he talked about the early Luther had a, like when he's in like 1518, the Heidelberg Disputation Luther, he had kind of the first four verbs. Like he thought that what really the gospel was is that, you, you know, the law came to you and plucked up, broke down, destroyed and overthrowed. And you kept letting yourself be overthrown. And that was how you, how you stayed a Christian. Then he got the word of the promise. He figured out, no, 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 what you, it, that's only preliminary, that when you're broken down, when you are broken down in your own self-sufficiency, then God builds and plants. So it's it's here, you know, the destruction is not a destruction unto itself, but it's a sort of destruction of false life, that, that true life can be built and planted. That's certainly the story of this book, where you have the people torn down, and, and, I, and Jeremiah who probably was quite young when he received this call because his ministry extended for a long time, uh, lived long enough to, to see the exile. And um, despite that, he still has words of hope that even when the people are taken into captivity and removed from, uh, from the land God had given them, there's, there still are words of hope that God, God will bring them back, that, that there will be a building up and a replanting. Yeah, and all this is not Plan B; it's Plan A. You know that 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 Jeremiah's calling in it that that Israel struggle that the struggles of Jesus are all uh, from you know the time before time, and so you know they're not things that are have escaped God's grasp, but there are things that you know God can can and is present in the midst of and to bring His deliverance. Yeah, there are so many jumping off points for a good message here. Verse eight. I think has a great one for I am with you. So many allusions to other scripture passages that you can yeah. take from there. I remember I read this essay in a book on biblical theology and eschatology. I think it was by Gordon Thomas. For he said the whole Bible could be summarized as the desire for a holy God to dwell with a holy people in a holy place. And yeah, I mean that. But we got Bart says right. That's the heart of the covenant. God with us. Yep. 
On to Hebrews. This is one of my favorite passages, actually. Hebrews 12, verses 18 through 29. You know, you've come not, you've come to this, not this. Like you've come to something that can be touched. You've not come to something that can't, uh, that can be touched a blazing fire, darkness, gloom, a tempest, sound of a trumpet. He's saying, you know, you're not, you haven't come to, uh, basically to, uh, the, Law, the the mountain where the law was delivered, right? You haven't come to Sinai, but you've come to Mount Zion, the city of living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. That this is, it's almost you know, there's these two different ways to approach life: the shakable life and the unshakable life, right? And and they're in contrast here, right? You know, to these people who are suffering, he's telling them all throughout this book what faith can do and the priorities of of getting of majoring on the majors and and. And the centrality of Jesus, and here you have this idea that it's not just in the future, but but this reality is with you right now. This this thing that's better than uh, uh, the Sinai and the terror, but you've come to this place, the city of the living God. If you really want to put your congregation to sleep, you can give a lecture on Plato and and forms. You could do that. <laughs> That'd be fun. <laughs> just talk through all of Hebrews. Um, that seems seems to at least resonate with some of that tradition and, and and here's an example where you have the where you have Mount Sinai compared to Mount Zion and and one is clearly the more real the more heavenly the, um form than than the other one which is more of a shadow side um yeah I'm glad you like this passage cuz of of the three passages this this one would get the axe for me first I would not want to preach from this one well, I love this image of the innumerable angels in festal gathering. As as you're struggling along the pilgrimage of faith, these this innumerable angels are cheering you on, and and you've come to the assembly of the firstborn in a law of primogeniture. You know where where the firstborn gets everyone. Everybody's the firstborn. Mm. Yeah, and to God the Judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And I love this to Jesus, the Mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Because what is the blood of Abel? Craft for vengeance. Right. You know, it cries out to be vindicated, you know, by the murder of Cain, for, you know, the murder of, it's the story of fratricide. And here, uh, Jesus, who is unjustly killed, his, his blood doesn't speak out for revenge, revenge, but it speaks peace and forgiveness. And, and it, the, it mediates a new covenant and it speaks this better word. And it leaves us not in the, the shakable, space, but the unshakable space, you know, receiving a kingdom that can't be shaken, which should lead to thanksgiving and reverence and awe. That's just so interesting because in this life, everything we build that's based on the created reality, not the creator, is shakable, right? Mm. No matter what we do. And, and this is, I always, I always talk about this in sermons. I say, you know, they always move the goalposts. You say, well, if you just get the right prom date or if you get the varsity letter or whatever, and then it's the next college, the college. Then if you marry the right person, get the right job, have the right kind of kids. And the goalposts keep moving. And if you do attain it, you still feel restless. And you still feel like you have something that can be shaken and taken away because it's so fragile. That's because the, the goalposts keep moving. I mean, this is, you know, Augustine, you know, in the city of God, there are two, there's a tale of two cities, one that's shakable and one that's unshakable. And he's saying, in Christ, we've come to this unshakable foundation, and that we're the, in the assembly of the firstborn, and that that should change everything. You know that this that this unshakable voice uh, has promised has promised us um, that we have an inheritance that we can count on. If I were to preach from this, I think I would preach it backwards. In other words, as, as I read through this, there's 
it's dense and full of very meaningful allusions, but just kind of hard to track with until you get to verse 28. Those last two verses to me at the therefore kind of mark out, all right, this is what I've been reading. And there you have, like you said, a reference to a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Um, Talks about acceptable worship, which alludes to the angels and festal gathering that we just read about. And it ends with, our God is a consuming fire. And, And if you had happened to have just preached from Luke 12 the week before, you have Jesus talking about bringing fire. Um, and so there, there's your connection. If you have people that actually attend consecutive weeks, uh, you can God draw. bless you if you do. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it's a great, yeah, it's a great, great passage from a great book, Book of Hebrews, which is probably a, a series of sermons on Old Testament texts or something. To a people who've grown weary in their faith. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which brings continued relevance. It does. On to the Gospel of Luke. Here we have Jesus, and as it seems is frequent, good observant Jew is on in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and there's a woman with a spirit that crippled her for 18 years. She's bent over and unable to stand up straight, and Jesus sets her free from her ailment, and then she begins praising God, and this frustrates his religious interlocutors and opponents. I love the themes of sight that come up here. Um, and, and like the calling of Jeremiah, where it's all of God's initiative, this here, this healing scene is an example of a woman who is seen by Jesus. And, and in fact, she's been over presumably in such a way that she couldn't even see him. She, so she's identified first by Jesus. She's noticed by him. And and he's already established earlier in the book of Luke in chapter 6 that he's the Lord of the Sabbath. And what I find interesting he, here is how um, in verse 13 that he laid hands on her. Now, that's certainly not unusual for Jesus. There are other occasions where he touches people, but he doesn't always have to touch people. Um, yeah, yeah. And I wonder if it's the touching then that gets him in trouble with the leader of the synagogue because it's right after he touches her that the leader of the synagogue chimes in and says, you can come back six other days of the week for, for healing, which by the way, seems a little disingenuous. It's hard for me to imagine that people can be healed any other day of the week. Uh, otherwise she would have been healed already. Right. Um, but I wonder if it's the, the touching, if it's the physical movement, the doing, uh, uh of a bodily motion that, that really ignites the anger um, from the leader here. Yeah. And it's interesting that she's has this affliction for 18 years, right? Mm-hmm. And Israel is freed after 18 years of bondage to Moab in Judges 3. And after 18 years of affliction from the Philistines and the Ammonites in Judges 10. So it, it, it's interesting this period of time where Israel is is oppressed and then delivered. And here she seems to symbolize Israel there. Like she's, and she's able to stand up straight. Mm-hmm. Right. And, 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 and you think of worship in the synagogue being mostly standing, right? Like the Eastern right. Orthodox. And so here she can now be in the proper posture of worship, which is what the Sabbath is for. 
Right. He makes her a daughter. He calls her a daughter of Abraham. Which is an unusual phrase. Yes. And it's just a reminder that that's, that Jesus gets to name who, who's in. Uh, it's Jesus who, who helps us understand who is a part of, of the people of God. Yeah, yeah. If you want to use language of election, you know, he is the elect one. We are elect through him. So it, it's all, which again goes back to priestly language that, that Hebrews developed, um, that the book of Hebrews develops throughout. But um, I, just, I just love his ability to name here. And, yeah. And this yeah. really follows up from the thesis, kind of the, the focal point of the whole gospel in, in chapter four, where Jesus in a synagogue lays out what he's going to do, restore sight. And one of those things is to proclaim release to the captives, uh, which he does right here in a very visible, tangible way. Uh, she is loosed. She's released from the bondage that, from which she suffered. And here's just one more example of Jesus living out that that thesis statement. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, that you have this response of shame and glory, like th- that people either people rejoiced or were shamed. Right there was there was either a rejoicing that happened because people thought, "Wow, look at this! You know, this woman's restored and God is glorified, and this is what the Sabbath was meant to me to be." Hebrews, that eternal Sabbath rest, right? I think in Hebrews four, like so, she's it. It seems like it's breaking in, or there's shame because they're standing against it. It's almost like they're using religion to stand against the things of God. <laughs> Yeah, you know, but here you use that you use the, the you know religious you know chicanery to stand against Jesus and 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 the things of God. So it's very interesting the you know the contrast here between these the religious leader, the you know head of the synagogue, and these people who when they and it seems like that's always the case, right? I was I was thinking of the the gospel reading before where it says I've come to it was last week's uh, I came to cast fire on the earth. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a baptism to be baptized with, uh, and people will be divided. And what's the dividing thing? I mean, it's interesting because it's the baptism of Jesus. I think I talked about this in last week's episode with my friend Steve Huber, that what's the difference in Jesus' baptism and John's baptism? John's baptism, you get cleaned up so that you can be ready for the guy. It's not yet, but soon, right? But mm-hmm. Jesus is already not yet the kingdom. And He's the one that's humiliated, you know, so that you can be exalted. As opposed to John's baptism, you humble yourself so that when God comes, he'll exalt you here. In Christ's baptism, he's humbled so that we could be lifted up. And that's the dividing line, right? Whether you will—it's the shakable versus the unshakable life, right? This is, you know, and here you, it seems that that it the dividing line goes right down the synagogue, between right. those who will receive the new life that comes in the baptism of Jesus and those who won't. Some in this very house will side with me and others won't, just like he said in in, in the previous chapter, in the previous reading, um, father against son, son against father, so forth. Um, even in the synagogue, uh, some are going to be on my side and some are not. We're, the, yeah. the, the world, Jesus came to construe the world in a completely different way. Um, where where blood is not thicker than the baptismal water. Yeah, and it's interesting because he's the living water and he's saying, you know, which one of you even on the Sabbath you'd let your, you know, you'd let your ox, you'd lead it to water, right? Uh and you'd water it because otherwise they'd die and, and yet you wouldn't let this woman drink of the living water in your midst. Yeah, that's that's true. And they well, needed to be loosed in order in order to find water just like she needs to be loosed in order yeah, to find living water. I, yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's at the heart of what uh, the Sabbath is all about. 
Well, Glenn, I pray that your listeners will be loosed, that there'll be much loosening in the name of Jesus on uh, the Lord's Day, uh, this Sunday, that people experience, uh, you know, the real freedom that comes in Christ. And in your congregation too, Scott. And uh, I just want to say, you know, as a as a frequent listener, you've had a string of really good episodes lately. Oh, thanks. And you're continuing yeah, the string, my friend. I hope so. <laughs> thanks, my friend. <laughs> thanks, Scott. Thanks for listening to the Synaxis Podcast. If you like what you heard, please go to iTunes, give it a rating, write a review, and subscribe. Or pass it along to a friend via email or say something about it on social media. All of those things help so much as we're just getting off the ground. Thanks to Glenn for coming on the podcast. You can find his stuff at MeaningfulWorship.Blogspot.Com. And thanks to you again for listening. Till next time, friends, fare thee well.